You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We will read all 15 verses of that chapter. Uh, it's page 1027 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to read along in the translation that I am reading from, or you can dial it up in your app or your, hopefully your own copy of God's Word. Let me just say before I forget, choir, that was absolutely amazing. If I was in my car, I would hit repeat. Uh, that was wonderful, and thank you for that blessing of that. Today, as we are continuing on the move, for those of you who are visiting with us today, we have read through the Bible together. Uh, We've had a Bible reading plan, and we're reading cover to cover, and so we've kind of gone through major passages of the Scriptures, and so today we are finding ourselves in 2 Corinthians as our reading uh, this past week was about, and today we're going to look at the gospel produces generous Christians. As we have read uh, throughout the Bible that Christians are the most generous on all the earth, and we look at history Uh, Christians were the one that started hospitals and taking care of the poor and taking care of the widowed and orphans. It has been our call as Christians to be God's people, God's uh, encouragement, God's love here on earth. And so as we do that, we are generous people. And today we're going to look at this passage where Paul calls us to be generous people. So let's look at that uh, together, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9. Now concerning the mystery to the saint, excuse me, ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Ikea had, had been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. And I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in the matter would not prove empty. And so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. 
You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning seeking to become more generous people. That, Lord, because of your generosity of love, forgiveness to us, we in turn display the generosity to others. God, this must be a work of your Spirit in us. You must help us go against our self-serving, self-righteous, self-turned hearts. Only you can produce generosity in our lives. And today we pray it would be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual disciplines, if you read the book Don Whitney, uh, uh, by Don Whitney, he's, I strongly encourage you his book on spiritual disciplines, are those habits that are designed to produce godliness in the life of a believer. They are habits or disciplines that have happened through the history of the church in which we say, it is God. You have saved us through your son, Jesus Christ. It is not by our hands, but by you. And because of that, because of our salvation, our lives now become an act of worship. Because of you, because what you have done, we want to act and live and think and do and be more like your son, Jesus. And spiritual disciplines are things that help us become more holy, more God-like. And so we do these things. And so if I were to come to you, most of you would agree to this, if, that, if I were to get you in the hallway, or if I were to catch you over here in the corner, or if I were to uh, talk to you uh, at my life group or before life group, uh, and, and I would say, would it be okay if we talk together about your prayer life this week and how it's going? You would probably say, yeah, pastor, that's what we're supposed to do. We're, we're supposed to spur one another in good works. I, I know that I might be uncomfortable, but I know that that's what you're supposed to do. Believers are supposed to do in my life, that I'm supposed to say, hey, how is your, how is your prayer life going? And you'd say, yes, let's talk about that. Or uh, maybe another spiritual discipline, you, you'd say, pastor, uh, I'd say, hey, could we talk about your Bible reading this week? You'd say, sure, pastor, you need to check in on me. I know I, I can unprioritize my life. I can, I can get things out of order. I need someone to check my Bible reading. I need, I need that. Thank you for asking me about that. Or we might go through a whole list of them. Worship says, hey, how are you getting here to church on Sunday? You say, yeah, that's something we need to talk about that. Uh, 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 fasting or, or evangelism. You'd say, pastor, I know these things make me uncomfortable. Sure, but I know as a believer, I need someone speaking into my life. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's, I need someone to check with me on those things. 
Or like we talked about a few weeks ago, we, we went through the, the fruits of the Spirit, and I said one of the things that we need to do is have kind of a fruit check, right? What are we growing? Are we patient? Are we kind? Are we all these things, self-control? Have we checked those fruits in our own life? And would it be okay for us to say, yes, I need someone to check the fruit of my heart. So, you know, together, let's, let's me and you talk about this week where I was patient or where I was unpatient, or where I was kind, where I was unkind. Those are all things you'd say, yes, yes, pastor. Yes, you need to talk to me about that. But then if I were going through the list, or I'd going through these biblical things, I said, okay, do you mind if we talk about your giving? What would be the response? Oh, no, that's a private matter. We can't talk about that. All these other things that the Bible talks about, yeah, you can check my heart on those things, but when you get to this one thing, that's a private matter? Nowhere in Scripture could we argue that. Here we have Paul himself saying that not only is he writing publicly to the church in Corinth to say there is going to be a generous gift that I'm going to expect from you, but not only that, but we also know that Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus talked about it more than heaven, hell, sex, or anything other than the kingdom of God. He talked about money. This is a public conversation for believers. Jesus knows that where our treasure is, our heart will go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why is it a public matter or why is it something that we should hold each other accountable to well it's because Jesus also knew that there's something dangerous that can control your heart over with money it can control the heart of a believer Matthew 19 24 again I tell you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God why why is this true because we Jesus knows that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of money that changes, that reprioritizes our life around it. That we instead look at that instead of the priorities of our family and even the church. Those become secondary. The Bible says something totally different about the life of a believer. That believers are generous people. Why? Because we look like the God who saved us, the one who freely gives us grace, the the God who freely gives us love, the God who freely, extravagantly, overwhelmingly has given us his son, Jesus. There is no other way that we can be like God than we can when we are generous. The entire New Testament is calling for believers to be more generous not less generous. Yet, Christians today are only giving at a 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, they gave a 3.3% rate. Let that sink in. That Christians were more generous when the country was in its worst shape. Can we say that we are more generous people? Now look, I don't think the scripture here or Paul 
or God or myself is intending to say, let's guilt trip ourself to understand of generosity. What Paul's main point is today is that a person who has been born of God, who was created through the Spirit as a new person, who was dead and now is alive, who is guilty and now forgiven, who has now been saved by the eternal work of Jesus Christ on the cross, God, this gospel, creates generous people. So let's look at how in this and how this passage points to us that there are three ways that God makes generous Christians. Number one, we see a Christian gives abundantly. At verse 6, uh, where Paul kind of zeroes in on what he's expecting here. Uh, the first five verses are this. He's kind of setting the stage. Uh, what we had read uh, earlier in chapter 8, uh, the reading that uh, Paul was saying there was a great need in the Macedonian churches, that there was a great uh, lack of, of wealth. We knew that if once you became a Christian, uh, it would hit your entire life uh, it, it affected your work, the way that you provided for yourself. And so many Christians became abjectly poor because of it. And so Paul had said, because of all of this, because of his, because of his network of planting churches, he called for certain times and certain ways for churches to do uh, not only a regular offering, but a special offering. And in this case, this special offering, uh, they had been... Uh, preparing for. And so that's what verses one through five talks about is that, hey, you, I'm coming. I'm not only saying this is a public matter, but I'm going to send uh, men before me so that you are prepared and ready for this offering. And then verse six, what we read this, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each, per, each person should do as he had decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Now let's just look at a couple of things. A Christian gives abundantly. Paul's point, first point, draws out a very uh, understandable analogy from farming. He wanted them to see that their generosity of giving does not produce less, it actually produces more. And he, he wanted to help ascribe to this, that a farmer uh, doesn't, uh, isn't stingy with the seed. Why would a farmer be stingy? Because if they were stingy, there would be less to harvest later. And so what does a farmer do? They sows a lot in abundance. So even if famine or, or weeds or animals or whatever would affect his crop, he would still have over an abundance for him to provide for his family, to sell, and to make a living. And so we know this, that what Paul is saying here is that those who sow sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. But those who so generously will result in a plentiful harvest. Now, what is Paul saying? He's, let me just say what he's not saying. He is not teaching what the false teachings of the prosperity gospel. He is not saying, give, and if you give and show your faith to God in this, God's going to make you a millionaire. You're going to get the lottery ticket. No, he's not saying that. 
What he is saying is, is that if you are generous in a lot, God will give you a lot to be steward over. That's a very subtle difference. Uh, some who would say that your giving is, is a way to get something in return. Well, well, that's not the way we look at it. That's not giving, is it? That's, that's giving with an expectation. No, Paul is saying we are generous that when we give a lot, God will give us even more to give. That if we, if we are faithful with what he has given us, that he will give us that and even more, so what? We can give more. I had a friend who uh, had just, got, God had put uh, uh, something on his heart that he wanted to give uh, to, to this special offering that we were doing. And he came to me and said, Pastor, I'm just really praying about this. This is going to be a sacrifice for my family, but I believe in what we're doing. I believe in what we're giving towards, and I know that I need to, to give this amount. And, and so he, he had prayed about it, and he gave, and he came to me the next week, and he said, Pastor, this is amazing. A contract I had been working on at work finally came through, and what I got as a commission more than covered that. And guess what, Pastor? I can actually give more than what I thought I was going to be able to give. You see, what he gave, knowing what he could commit at that time, God covered and gave him so they could give even more. He sowed lavishly, expecting the harvest. And this is true about being a good steward. A steward understands that we are responsible to God for what he is giving us and that if we are faithful with it, he will give us more to be faithful with. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, Jesus said, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. So if you're stingy with your money, why would you expect God to give you more to be more stingy with? You see, Christians are made to be generous, generous people. So we should give generously. Secondly, we see here that a Christian gives cheerfully. Uh, verse 7, we see that, that for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't know my parents anymore. There are some aspects of their personality that has changed in the last eight years. When I was growing up, there was a solid rule. One snack a day. You know, don't go beyond that. One sweet a day. And yet, when they keep Franklin, and I show up, there's a pile of candy wrappers over in the corner, uh, you know, that's huge. And so, what, what happened to the rule that there's one sweet a day? Well, well, you know, he's a growing boy, you know, he needs to have, you know, have some snacks and food, right? And then something else has changed with my parents that I don't really recognize. Uh, they... I would say, hey, mom, dad, I'd like to go out with my friends this weekend to the movies. Would you mind giving me some money? Well, son, I don't know where you think money comes from. Uh, but when I was your age, I had to work four jobs and I had to walk to my job until I could afford my car. And then I could uh, work the job to get the gas money. And then I could get the gas money and then I could go make more money so I could do anything with my friends. So, you know, it would be a, at least a 10 minute you know, sermon, sermonette. Now, randomly, in our mailbox, Franklin gets these envelopes with money. It, it's not even his birthday. 
Oh, this is the first day of October. You get a special gift, Franklin. Well, where's the speech that you get in understanding what money is? Well, here's the thing that's changed. They love doing it. They love being generous. And because their heart is invested in Franklin, what they give up is not a sacrifice, but a joy. And this is the point of verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek you've probably heard says it's actually a hilarious giver. One who gives in such a joyful pattern that there is joy that is deep inside of them that results in the free expression of giving. And this is the, the point that, that the passage is making. God is saying, look, uh, you should give. Whatever you should give is up to you. But here's the point. You should give cheerfully. Whether uh, it should be a sacrificial gift, but it should be cheerfully done because God loves a cheerful giver and that God loves and knows our hearts. God throughout the Bible has said, I want to know your heart. And when you're giving, you're giving from your heart. I mean, we remember back to the story in Genesis and Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel first brought a fruits uh, from his firstborn of his flock and also of his first harvest. And he brought that as an offering to God. But what happened with Cain? He brought some leftovers. And it wasn't the matter of the gift. It was the matter of their hearts. That to Abel, God was a priority, but to Cain, he was giving his leftovers. You see, the point is not the amount, though that is tied to it. The point is, is your heart. Are you cheerfully giving? Deuteronomy 15.10, give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you do. God loves a cheerful giver because it is precisely what and who God is, a cheerful giver. Don't you want to have the same attitude as God the Father as He gives? James chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By His own choice, He gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be kind of firstfruits of His creatures. God gave willingly of His Son to us. So is giving and generosity a duty or a delight for you? Well, friends, I would encourage you to run to the cross of Jesus Christ to be reminded of the generosity of God so that you would be more generous with others. Meditate on what Christ has done and what God has done for you and to you and through Jesus himself. And that would make you become a hilarious, cheerful giver. Thirdly, we see a Christian is generous without worry. A Christian is generous without worry. In verse 8, it says, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He distributed freely, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at how Paul reminds us of the generosity of God that should produce in us 
a generous heart that does so without worry. What is the first thing that we ask before we give? Can we afford it? Can we do this? Now, I think there is some wisdom in that. You don't want to put yourself out and not be able to pay bills and different things. That's, that's wise to do that. But most of the time we ask that question looking for the answer already to be no. Can we give this? No, we certainly can't give this. And we look for the reasons not to. Because we are worried. Because we're afraid that we won't have enough. But Paul is saying here the third reason that God is lavishly generous and abundantly supplies with us everything that is necessary for us to have our own needs and be generous to others. Look at this phrase in verse 8. That God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Now this word grace is, is a broad scope to mean the material blessing, spiritual motivation, and everything that he provides for us, both forgiveness of sins, but also the grace that helps us to be generous. And then look at this way that he helps us to be reminded that we shouldn't worry. Why? He is able to make every grace overflow to you. And look at the alliteration so that we won't worry. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. That we do not have to worry because the grace overflows to us from God so that in every way, we can't, we can't find a way where God will not give us grace. That in everything you need, everything you need, you will have. That you will excel in every good work. This is to put out any doubt in our mind that everything we need, God will give so that we can give out of grace to others. But this just echoes what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, uh, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more worthy than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, the reminder to us is that we cannot let our concerns, our worry, keep us from being generous. I could give you many examples of how uh, faithful widows, faithful people, faithful who have little, are actually the most generous people because they've learned to trust God. 
The reality for us is that we need to give generously and trust in God to provide our needs. So when we give generously, something doesn't just happen to our money. Something happens to our heart. The rest of this passage just gives us the results of generosity, which I'll go through very quickly. The first thing, result of generosity that changes our heart is it enriches our thankfulness to God. Verse 11 to 12, it says, You will be enriched in any, every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So what is Paul reminding us is that the result of your generosity is producing thanksgiving, praise, worship, honor to God because there was someone wondering how in the world am I going to make it through how in the world am I going to provide for my family how in the world can I make it through and God answered the question by the generosity of someone else so in this God is working through here in this the church at Corinth to bless someone else. And in our lives, when we are generous, we are blessing someone else on behalf of God. And this produces thanksgiving to God that we are expressing an overabundance of thanks to God because of our generosity. And when we are thankful to God and others are thankful to God, it results in generosity all the more. Secondly, generosity produces and disciplines us for obedience. Verse 13, it says, Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient, here's the word, obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone. You see, the result was this, is that there was a faithful obedience of the Christians to be generous as God commands us to be, and that it is a result of a discipline that we have grown in our lives, to be generous people. Now, a friend of mine used to say, and he would always kind of tease us, when we talk about fasting, some people fast, some people don't fast, and he always was a big proponent of what fasting has done in his life and how it had close-knitted him to the heart of God, had set aside time specifically for prayer. And he would always say this, uh, for those of you who are here that prays regularly, often, never misses a day, has great motivation to pray, uh, you don't need to fast. But for the rest of us, it might be a good deal. Uh, The point of fasting is to what? Set aside time so that we are praying It is a discipline to make sure that we're doing what God has called us to do. So in the same way, when we are generous, we are disciplining our hearts. One, we're disciplining it to trust God, but we're also disciplining our hearts so that we are obedient to him in these things. This is a spiritual discipline, just like prayer, reading our Bible, and evangelism. These are things that produce in us godliness and faith. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first produce of your entire harvest. There is a result in this to say, it is the first thing you do, not the last thing that you do. And thirdly and finally, what is the result of generosity? It displays love, which results in deepened fellowship. In verse 14, 
as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of their surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Look at what happens. Those people have deep affection for you because of your gift to God. You, in turn, grow a heart for those people. The result of generosity is more love for one another, a deepening of fellowship. And those separated in this case by distance and time and culture, these two churches, this church, when given a generosity, a generous gift, there was a visible expression of love. And the receivers perceive, perceive this graciousness of the giver that is in turn an outworking of God to them. And there's this chain reaction that happened, that there was a generosity, that there was thanksgiving to God that resulted in deep fellowship. When we give, and part of our giving gives to other people, we see that our hearts are drawn close. For those who weren't here last week at this very session, we had Ken Easterhusen, our church planner from Boston, who shared with us what has happened as a result of our church pouring into their church. That baptisms have happened. That there is a buzz in the community because we sent a group there to serve him. That we have supported him in just a small monetary fashion to have things for that church. And do you know what has happened in the life of that church? They have a deep affection for Hebrew Baptist Church. Because they know they can call up or email and know that they will be prayed for, that they will be supported, that they love us in a way because of our generosity to them. And in the same way, when we sit here and hear Ken and his story, that we are thankful that we get to be a part of what God is doing in his life, in his church, in his community. And what does that do? It deepens our fellowship together. You see, the result of generosity results in a deepening of the family of faith towards one another and the people who have a need. And so we must be generous people because not only is it an act of discipline for us as a Christian, but is the result that it will change in our hearts. Now, every pastor has heard, Pastor, uh, on this, uh, this sermon, I, uh, your sermons, we need more application. Uh, not the giving one. We don't want more application in that one because that would make me have to do something that I'm uncomfortable with. But here's just some application. The reality is this, is if Christians throughout the globe were more generous, let's just say if Christians throughout the globe were willing to get to the a minimum, let's say 10%, that the church would have an additional 165 billion churches to distribute to the world. That means 25 billion could go to relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could be used to eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues in uh, where uh, the world 100, excuse me, 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. 1 billion could ha fully fund all overseas mission work. 
and 100 to $110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry. That is the tangible result of Christians being faithful to what God has called us to do. So what gifts or what generosity should Christians make? Well, first, first, first fruit giving, as we have seen, that it is the first of what God has given us, the off the top God gives us 100%. He asks us to show us that we are, we are thankful by giving at least 10%, a tithe off the top. That we should give investments in God's kingdom. These are offerings, like missions offerings, like the Lottie Moonish missions offering we'll be giving here in a few weeks, or to our building fund, or to state missions offerings, or to mission programs, or Christian organizations. We should give gifts to loving others, knowing that our neighbor has a need. You know, just a few months ago, we had a neighbor's house get struck by lightning, and and we contributed to funds for that. We want to show that our neighbor, that their neighbors love them. Or spirit-directed gifts. We need to be provided and be available to listen to the Holy Spirit to be able to give generously. And so what action steps can we take from today's generosity encouragement well number one we need to pray for our hearts to trust god and that we would reflect the gospel in our generosity you know if we did that we pray for that every sunday night uh, that we would be generous people and this would be something for you to pray if this is one thing you did it would result in generosity in your life Secondly, some need to get on a budget because if you don't know where your money is going, it's hard to be able to give generously. Thirdly, work towards a tithe. You know, work towards a tithe. Work to what God has said as a way for us to give and show the way that we are faithful and generous to God through His church. Fourthly, don't, limited, don't be limited in your giving. God did not say, give until the tax benefit runs out. He didn't say, render what is to God and render what is to Caesar's only as you get something back in return. Generosity is generosity. It is giving without an expectation of anything in return. Don't be limited. 10% is a God, but it is not the stopping point. Be generous in your life. Fifthly, be regular in your giving. Set up e-giving, something that's helped me be more disciplined in my giving. Set up e-giving so that we know that when you're gone or you can't be here, that you know that you're giving regularly and that you know that you're disciplining yourself to trust the Lord. Here's a challenge gift. Right now, pray about every adult giving $5 a week more to the church. What result would that be? Well, if 150 adults gave $5 more a week, that would result in $39,000 in a year. If you just gave $5 more, that's $20 more a month, 25 some weeks, some months. But what if you were to work towards the tithe, how much more that that would happen? Just think of this. Make this a challenge right now. Would you give $5 more a week to the church? And seventhly, pray about giving to our 2020 fund. There is many things in the life of our church that needs upgrading, updating, and a building that is 14 years old that we'll need. 
How can we be generous? How are we providing in our lives and our hearts a way to be more generous? How are we actively being generous? Well, the first thing we need is to God to change our hearts that we're cheerful givers. Let's pray for this. God, we ask you this morning as your word has reminded us that our hearts need to be changed. Help us to reflect the generosity of you, God. Help us to be people who are generous. Help us to be willing to help others, to give to the church, give to organizations and funds, give to our neighbors, and that we would not stop because we are worried that you would provide. Lord, be with us today. We are thankful because of the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who threw it in, in it, not as anything that we've earned, but, but as a grace gift, we can be saved. We pray that if this message, Lord, that someone would hear and be saved today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But He was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with Him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow Him.